Nehemiah. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to to Nehemiah chapter 9. That's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, as we go there, uh, this is the book of Restoration. So I just want to give a quick recap because I know it's been a couple weeks and uh, you may have kind of forgotten where we're at in the story. If you didn't, hey, praise God, then you're just along for the ride. Um, Chapter 1, we see this report and this response. So Nehemiah, his brother, came and told him what was happening in Israel, and his response we see of that. And chapter 2, we see his journey to uh, Judah, to Israel. So he's going to try to rebuild the wall. He's going to try to put things back in order. Nehemiah cares about this, and he wants to serve the Lord. In chapter 3, we see the list of the wall workers. Uh, they're all listed out. They say the sections of the wall that they did and the sections that they were working on and, and, and whose household did what and all those things. In chapter 4, we see the opposition to this operation. We see that, uh, that that's where um, Sanballat and others like them seek to cause this not to happen, not to be the case. And uh, that's mentioned in chapter 4. Chapter 5, then we deal with the economic issues, economic exercise, where Nehemiah has to exercise his authority of the governor over the people and kind of uh, put things right financially. There's, uh, people are selling one another into slavery and they're misusing and mistreating one another. And so chapter 6 is this conspiracy uh, and the completion of the wall. And then I did that with, along with chapter 7. So we've got conspiracy, completion, and the congregation. Uh, you've got this conspiracy against Nehemiah trying to, def- if we can't stop the project, maybe we can stop the man, right? And so defaming him, the wall is completed. And then there's this, the list of the congregation of those who are making up those who are coming back from exile. They're named by their families. Chapter 8 was listening to the law and the religious rituals read by uh, one of the prophets there. And then, uh, which brings us to chapter 9. And if, you, if you're looking about Nehemiah, how to kind of split this book up, chapters 1 through 6 are about restoring the wall. Chapters uh, 7 to remaining are about restoring a people. So this is a book of restoration. Remember, we just got done with Lamentations before this. And so today's message, the title of it is Covenant Keeping. And I want to read Psalm 111 to you. So we're going to be in chapter 9 of Nehemiah, but I want to read Psalm 111 to you before we begin. And then I've got a short video for you as well. And I'm going to tie these both into today's message. So uh, you can just rest for a moment and I'll read to you. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and all his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So in the back, we're about to watch about a three-minute video. So just make sure that the audio is ready for that. You guys ready?
All right. So I don't know if you're a Facebooker. If you are, then I wrote this question on there. What do you do uh, with a messed up past? Something like that. We're going to find out this morning. So in Nehemiah, hopefully you're there, uh, chapter 9, we're going to start in verses 1. We're going to read through this, and I'm going to give you kind of a, a commentary sermon this morning uh, with an application at the end, okay? Uh, that's how this is going to work. Uh, so Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1, starting there, it says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth, with earth on their heads, and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sin and iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in the place and read from the book of the law of their Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter uh, of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. First things I want to point out to you is we, uh, this may strike you as funny if you are remembering what's happened historically so far in the book. So they, they read from the law. They were commanded, this is chapter 8, they read from the book of the law. They were commanded, hey, don't cry. Today, this is a day that belongs to the Lord. Go and rejoice and feast and, and have a good time. And so they went and they, they did that. And now this says this is 23 days or the, the, the later from that time. So this is the 24th day of the month. What, what happened in between there? Well, uh, what you may not know here is the first day of the seventh month is a holy convocation. This is the festival of trumpets. You can find that in, in Leviticus 23, 24. The 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement, which is a big deal. That's when they sacrifice the lamb and then they've got the, the scapegoat and the, and the goat that's sacrificed and they and they do all this to atone for the sins of the, of the nation of Israel, okay? And then the beginning of the 15th day of the seventh month, they celebrate the, fest, the festival of booths for seven days. And so I'm going to read this to you. The events of the festival of booths continue to the 22nd day of the seventh month. Then the eighth day of the festival of booths is another holy convocation that would be the 23rd day of the month. And now we see in Nehemiah, nine one there that this is the 24th day so here's what happened they read the book of the law they were convicted by their sin uh the priests who were there said wait a minute uh it is not right for us to act that way right now ecclesiastes tell us right there's a there's a time for everything there's a time for rejoicing there's a time for uh for sadness they said this is not the right time for sadness this is time for rejoicing for remembering what god has done we're going to do that but you see the, the hearts of the people were still torn by what they had read. And so now they're coming back in, it says, in sackcloth and ashes, so to speak. They put earth on their heads. It said that they separated themselves from the foreigners. Uh, why did they do that? Because they were confessing the sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Listen, as much as I might want to do it, I can't confess your sin and you can't confess mine. I can't ask for forgiveness for you, nor can you for me. We have to separate ourselves from one another uh, to have time with the Lord. And also, uh, this harkens to the New Testament where it says, you know, you know what, what is believers and unbelievers, what, what kind of uh, relationship can they have with one another? It's, 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 it's oil and water. It's only when we're reborn by the Spirit that we can have fellowship like this. There is something special. I hope you guys know this. You may not experience this as much because we're in American culture, but there is something supernaturally special about the body of believers. And so they separate themselves from the foreigners. They confess their sin, and they stood in their place. They read from the law for most of the day, we see here, for a quarter of the day, and then the other quarter they confessed their sin. And so this was, this was a long church service. This was what, this maybe like one of the first or, or Old Testament recorded revival services of Scripture. 
They had one earlier, you know, 24 days earlier when, uh, when Ezra was reading the book to them in the first place. Remember how it said that they stood and they listened for like three or four hours and stuff like that? And so we're going to practice that today with the sermon, right? That was the joke last time too. So if you're a note taker, uh, here's your first blanks that you can fill in. Here's the first section that we're going to see. It's going to deal with creation and character of who God is, okay? So this is the creation and character of which our brother read some of that this morning to open us up for worship. And so we're going to continue that. So in Nehemiah chapter 9, 5 through 8, then the Levites, and he skipped the name, so I'm going to too, uh, they all stood up there and they said, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, Blessed be your glorious name. Now they're talking to God, not to the people, right? Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And then verse 6 then, it starts to name his character, and they start also in creation. So we learn some things about God in the text. He is the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven and the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserve all of them. The host of the heaven worships you. So We're establishing from the beginning, and that's why it's important. That's why your entire worldview, brother or sister in Christ, has to be established in Genesis. You can't wait to establish your Christian worldview in Romans or Corinthians or in Revelation. It's got to be Genesis. It has to be Genesis through Revelation. We are not allowed to just pick sections out and deal with the things that make us feel good and discard the things that convict us. You are the Lord, you alone. There are no other gods beside him. There are no other ways. It's Jesus or nothing. That's what scripture says. It says that he has made the heavens, which means he's made you. Scripture says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you understand the theology that they are packing into Nehemiah? I I hope that you do. This is rich. If you haven't been reading this while I've been gone for two weeks, you've been missing out. You have some catch-up to do. Read it this week. Study it. Let this be your passage of quiet time this week. Blessed be your glorious name, was exalted above, above everything. You are Lord, you alone, you have made the heavens, the heavens of heavens, all things. Things that are above, things that are here. That, it says every host of heaven worships you. So that's, what's that? That's macro God, right? Creator, all-powerful, omnipotent, omnipresent, God of gods, Lord of lords, Right? And they go from macro God to micro focused. Look with me again now at at verse 7. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram. One guy out of an earth full of people. Please don't forget that. It's so easy for us, it's so easy for me at times to pray to this big. God, and we should. He is a big God. So pray for big things. Ask for big things. Things that you know that in and of yourself are never going to happen because you need a big God to do them. Do that. But also, don't ever forget, don't lose sight of the fact that He is a God who chooses us by name as individuals and can be your own personal Lord and Savior, can be your own Jesus, can be your own friend, is your own God. Like Joshua, choose this day who you will serve as for me and my house. We're going to serve this God. So he is the God who, who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. Changed his name, changed his, who he was. 
wrote him in this book that we have as our Bible of their forefathers that these Israelites are talking about. You found his heart faithful before you. You made him. You made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, the Girgashite, and you have kept your promise for you are righteous. Also, again, look at the theology here. Did Abraham pick God or did God pick Abraham? God picked Abraham. And for what? Because he had the most followers on Instagram? Because he wore the hottest fashions? Because he was the the richest man in the land? Because he was the most intelligent, right? Just because he was the most beautiful, right? He was the most attractive out of all of them. Because he was the most eloquent speaker then, right? I mean, because he was just really good. No. In fact, his righteousness was only in that he trusted God. And so we go from this macro God to this micro intention. We see the creation and the character of our God. He is a God who is the creator and the author of all things, but we see his character. He is perfect. He is holy. He is He is the one who chooses. He is the ultimate decreer. He is the ultimate judge. He is the decider. He is the alpha and the omega. He is above all things. And so the next section, if you're a note taker, is the compassion and commandments. In this next section, he's going to chunk this up as Nehemiah records the entire history of Israel in one chapter, which is amazing, by the way. And so in verse 9, we're going to start, but it's compassion and commandments if you're a note writer. Uh, All these are C, and as we go, uh, if you've been reading this, you'll be able to guess. If not, you'll be able to fill this in later because you can just read through it and you'll probably be able to guess what the what the seas are. So uh, verse 9, and you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. So now, so now we're moving from Abraham and the promise of the covenant that was given to him to the people who are now subjugated in slavery, right? So we've glossed over uh, Isaac and Jacob. We're now uh, uh, past all of that into the famine years and even after that uh, into the time of, of slavery, uh, into Moses, basically. You saw the affliction of your fathers in Egypt. And heard their cry at the Red Sea, you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. They, God sees the wickedness that is perpetrated against you, that is perpetrated against his people. We live in a time of history where we have immediate gratification of things. You want to watch something online, you flip it on, you can pay for no commercials, you can fast forward to the season seven of whatever it is, you don't even have to watch seasons one through six, you can deal with all of that at a moment's notice. We have high-speed internet service, we have cars that take us to and fro, we don't have to walk, we have instant microwave meals out of the refrigerator. And sometimes we lose sight that that God really sees or cares because we're not instantly gratified by deliverance from things. Sometimes you have a thorn in the flesh and you're going to ask three times and he's going to say, no, I'm not going to remove it. And your weakness is made strong. He is made strong in your weakness is what I'm saying. And so rest assured, God sees, he, he hears, and for 400 years they suffered under this. But he says that he knew that they acted arrogantly against the people of God. And and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. 
Egypt never forgot what happened. The people around them, the nations that they were going to go to, they said, aren't you the people that your God brought out of Egypt? Because we heard about that. We heard about the blood. We heard about the, the locusts. We heard about the frogs. We heard about the firstborn dead. And you divided the sea before them. As I was sitting out on the beach, this verse hit me. And you divided the sea before... Yes, even when I'm gone, I'm, I'm reading for you because I love you. And for myself, okay? It's not all about you. Get over yourself, okay? And, and so, in verse 11, and, and you divided the sea before them. Look, look at this. So that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And that's the phrase that hit me. I, for some reason, I've always thought that they were kind of trudging through the mud. No. God divided the sea so miraculously that it was a footpath. Dry ground. There were no carts. Think about this. I I don't don't know. Some of you are going to know this by by name. You can shout it out if you want to. That's fine. Uh, There was a movie with Moses, right? And and they made that. It was old time, and it comes on like every year. Um, Surely you've seen it. If you haven't, like YouTube it or something. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, My point is this. In the movie and in text, it says that they plundered the Egyptians, right? And so in, they've got this long train of Israelites on wagons. You see the kids, you know, kids who are too young to be able to walk, old women who are too old to walk. They put them up on these donkeys or on these carts, and they're bringing them through. And I always think to myself, man, what a sludge drudge trip through that mud of the Red Sea. They're, these donkeys are just pulling all these bales of whatever on the back of these As if on dry land. Amazing. Even H2O molecules obey him. That's what I'm saying. And you, and you cast their pursuers into the depths as we're just going to continue. We can't, we, can't, we can't dwell on every gem of the text this morning. We don't have the time, but you can throughout the week, and I would encourage you to. So you cast your pursuers in the depths as a stone into the mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day. By a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. Think of that scene if you're an outsider. Just this tornado of fire wandering through the desert, you, that would blow your mind. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. Do you see how they're referring to the law? And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. You told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. And so he's providing for them even their daily bread. Sounds like somebody else who taught us how to pray, right? And so, remember how this works? He told them to go in and possess this land, the land that Abraham was given the promise to, right? It says in verse 16, But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck, and they did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. Verse 16 is the shift in this text as we begin to see their repentance, right? Right? 
They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. They, they forgot. They forgot about the dry riverbed. They forgot about the firstborn son. They forgot about the river of blood. They forgot about the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. I guess this all just became normal to them, right? Kind of like indoor plumbing and electricity. Forgot about the blessings of God. They stiffened their neck. Again, do you see? So Jesus talks about put my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is the, this is the same kind of verbiage. A stiff-necked creature. You would put the yoke on them and they wouldn't obey the yoke. They would, they would, they would buck against the goads, so to speak. They refuse, and by the way, he says that several times about the people. They're stiff-necked people. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders you performed. They stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return them into slavery into Egypt. They wanted to go back. You remember that? Can you believe this? But you are a God ready to forgive. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. None of which they deserve. And we're only halfway through this. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. And they committed great blasphemies. And we don't have little statues, but we create for ourselves our own little idols ourselves, do we not? Things that we'd rather serve rather than God because it's more comfortable. I'd rather serve leisure. I'd rather serve financial security. I'd rather serve even family quality time. I'd rather serve entertainment. I'd rather serve you fill in the blank for whatever that is for you. We make our own little golden calf that we bow down before because it's more comfortable to worship and serve that God, a little God that we can create and we can can control. Not realizing that instead what we're doing is we're raising up for ourselves a leader to bring us back into slavery, into bondage, of which we were freed from in the first place. This is our God who brought us up and committed these blasphemies. Verse 19, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light their way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Listen to this. This is another one as I'm laying on the beach. Their clothes did not wear out. Their feet did not swell. Can you even imagine? Look, just... Good morning. Everybody ready? We're going to pack up and walk all day. Good night. Hope you sleep well because guess what tomorrow is? We're packing up to walk all day. Rinse and repeat. Think about how fast your socks alone would wear out. Your soles of your shoes. If you walk enough, you've got to buy a new pair of shoes every year, basically. Especially if you've got one leg longer than the other, right? Or something funny going on with your hips or something. Next section, if you're a note taker. Conquest and, con- uh, conquest and consequence. 22 through 31 is this next section we're going to go over. Conquest, consequence. You got it? And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. Are you hearing this? 
There was no, there was no section of the promised land that they did not get. Not even a corner. And if you remember Ephesians, right? He has made us inheritors of spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And if that's a promise, will we not receive every single corner? So they took possession of the land. And they named these guys, Sihon, the king of Heshban, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. And they named these guys because these guys were one of the giants. They talk about him in the Old Testament. His bed was like super big. And it wasn't just because he liked California king size. Like, he was a big dude. We're talking like Goliath big. So you didn't just give them the land. You helped them defeat amazing military might. You multiplied their children as sons of heaven. You brought them into the land. Now, remember the context of this. This is after they had built a false god. They had sinned against God. This is when they're 40 years in the wilderness because they didn't want to take the land in the first place. You multiplied their children as stars of heaven. You, you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land. The Canaanites gave them into their hand and their kings and their peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land. Jericho, right? They took possession of houses full of all good things. Cisterns already hewn. Vineyards, olive orchards, fruit trees in abundance. They didn't have any work to do. Just a show of hands. Has anybody here ever like built a house? Because we sometimes we buy houses and we move in and stuff like that. Anybody here ever like built your own home? Isn't that a headache? I mean, I've I've heard there's a there's a couple things. I, I don't know this because we've never done this. I've heard there's a couple things that can really like test a marriage. And I think like building a house together is one of those things. That's what I've always heard. Okay. Some of you are smiling in a way that tells me that that is an accurate uh, thing. Sometimes. What if, that, what if you just wandered onto some property and the house was like already built there? You didn't have to do any of it. And you didn't have to fight about it because the drapes were the color she wanted and the you know, electronics were the kind you wanted or whatever. I don't know. This is, they came into this land that was already done. These vineyards were already planted. These cisterns were already dug. The fortified cities, the, the, they already had. So, so they ate. Listen to what it says. So they just ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves and your great goodness. This is... Verse 26, here it is again. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back. Listen to that phrase. Nevertheless, even though you'd given them all this stuff, even though you'd been faithful upon faithful upon faithful and provided and provided and provided, you kept pushing trash out into the water. You just kept making more trash. Nevertheless, they were disobedient, rebelled against you, cast your law behind their back, killed the prophets who warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed great blasphemies again. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you. You heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from their hand of their enemies. But after, they did evil again before you and they abandoned them to the hand of their enemies. 
so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard them from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. This sounds like my life. Does this not, does, I mean, am I alone? Does this not sound like your life? I smashed my face against the wall. I'm like, ow, that hurts. Somehow I'm delivered. I turn around, smash my face into that wall. I'm like, oh, that hurts too. And then somehow I'm delivered. And guess what happens next? I find another wall. Verse 29, and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, yet, let, yet they acted presumptuously. They did not obey your commandments, but they sinned against your rules, which, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they, they turned a stubborn shoulder and a stiff neck, there it is, and would not obey. Many, many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through the prophets, yet they would not give ear. By the way, again, like, do you understand that he's going from Genesis all the way through to current time period now? Are, are you hearing, you know, King David and, you know, all these other guys and all this stuff that's happening? Are, are you hearing that in here as he's going? This, right now he's giving you the entire book of Judges, just FYI. Like that's what's happening now. So we went through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now we're at Moses. Then in the land we've covered Joshua. Now we're in Judges. Are you following? Like historically what's happening here? They would not give ear, therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. We've, David was thrown in there too. They don't even mention him by name. 31, nevertheless. So there's a couple of neverthelesses in here. The neverthelesses point us to the people's disobedience and to God's faithfulness. Here's God's faithfulness. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of all of them or forsake them, for you are gracious and merciful God. Next section, if you're a note taker, confession and covenant. 32 through 38, this is the end. Sort of. I'm going to tie it all up at the end and give you something to apply. Okay? So the last section here, confession and covenant. Hopefully I gave you enough time. If not, elbow your neighbor. So, everything we just talked about, right? It ends on you giving them over to the hands of their neighbors. Nevertheless, God is, is faithful. Okay? So it's a continuous story of them being disobedient. Well, firstly, God just choosing them, right? Chose Abraham, chose them. I mean, what's so great about Israel other than God chose them? No, nothing, right? I mean, nothing. There's no special reason for that. God just looked out in all of history in his sovereignty and says, that's the people I'm going to make my people. And through them, I'm going to bring Jesus, right? And through Jesus and, and him, and I'm going to use these, these Jews to then tell Gentiles of which you are the descendants. And so you're in this room today, right? So what's so special about any of us? What's so special about n nothing? Uh, God just chose and all we do is create garbage all the time. And this is what he just said. From Abraham all the way through, there's been a constant, constant thread of unfaithfulness on our part and faithfulness on God's part. And now this is his appeal. This is Nehemiah's appeal. Now, therefore, this is, this is the end of this. Now, therefore, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. So he's, he's appealing to who God is, not who we are. Oh, great God who creates all things, who keeps covenant, God who never changes, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, therefore, our God, great and mighty and awesome God who keeps covenant, steadfast, let all the hardships 
seem, uh, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, even though we've caused them ourselves, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets. Because remember, Nehemiah is coming out of the exile in Babylon that Lamentations was wrote about. You remember how bad Lamentations was and all this kind of stuff, right? Since that time of kings, the Assyrian until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. We deserved every single spanking we got. Every single one. For you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your writings that you have given them. Even in their own kingdom, and amid your great goodness that you have given them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Here's what he's saying. Even when they were in the promised land that you had promised, even in the midst of the cisterns that they did not dig and in the storehouses and the vineyards that they did not plant, even when they saw God's faithfulness time and time again, they still did not serve you and continued to make garbage. Verse 36, Behold, we are slaves to this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They're, 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 they're shipping all the vineyards that they have that they're harvesting grapes from. Do you know where that's going? It's going back to Assyria and Babylon so he can make his wine and have his drunken fests that we talk about in Scripture, right? And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set us before us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Okay, you ready for the application? Here it is. All that chapter. Because of all this, he says, all of what? All of our disobedience, all of our trash we've made, we're still going to come to you because of all this we make a firm covenant in writing on a sealed document. Here are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And then chapter 10, if you want to read ahead, it's going to list all the names of all the people who signed this document. See, the people of God have just rehearsed God's goodness. They have rehearsed their sin. They have rehearsed God's mercy. And now they seek, they want to, they desire now to turn back to God, to renew their commitment to God, a commitment to repent from sin and to seek to follow his commands. And so they want to make a covenant to keep his covenant. And so the application for this this morning is, is, is I hope, clear, but if it's not, it's this. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. In the face of the garbage that we produce. In fact, today ought to be a day for you to either weep, over your unfaithfulness to God, and I hope repent, 
or rejoice in our covenant-keeping God who keeps his covenant with you in the face of your lack of keeping that covenant on your behalf. And what God does over time is he uses all that garbage as a foundation to build us, not only us, in our sanctification process, but also his church. Because every single one of us as living stones are stones that are made up of a history of, of, of garbage. And it's built up. And so there's two ways that we can view that. We can either allow Satan to have power over that and say, look at, look at all the garbage. Look at all your garbage. He can never use you. He can never save you. There's no hope for you. You're made of nothing but garbage. Or you can allow for God to speak into that and say, yep, just like every other stone I've ever used and ever will use, because there's only one perfect stone, that's Jesus Christ. And Israel, they made this covenant with them. We're going to see this in Nehemiah where we're going to talk about this. They sought to seriously repent and turn back and do all these things. That's what the rest of Nehemiah is going to be about. There's going to be some weird things in there where they made people like get divorced because they were intermarried and stuff like that. It's weird stuff, okay? But they still can't keep the covenant because we have the rest of the Old Testament. They mean well, they want to, but what they need is Jesus. And so Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Hebrews tells us, But in Christ we have obtained, who has obtained a ministry much more excellent than this of the old. He is the new covenant. It is in Christ Jesus. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then all you have is a dump. But if you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you may have meant it for evil, but God can use it for good. All of it. All of it. There is nothing in your life that is simply garbage that cannot be turned into treasure in Christ Jesus. And that is only because, not because we are deserving, not because we're eloquent, not because we have followers on Instagram, not because we're good looking or we're good speakers or we're wealthy or any of those things, but it's only because we have a covenant-keeping God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and who chose you by name just like he did Abraham, sent his son to die for you so that he could turn trash into treasure, which is what he calls you to be. So the question that I have for you is this. These people have just reviewed their sin before a holy God. We should do that too, from time to time. Maybe you can do that today. Maybe you can do that this week as you study this text. And then the question I have for you is, are you ready then to say, yeah, that's true, but I want to recommit I want to cut a new covenant with the Lord. He is keeping his covenant to me. I want to be faithful to that too. And maybe all that is, is maybe not a a new commitment. Maybe that's reestablishing a commitment you made a long time ago. But I want to encourage you this week, that's how we should apply this text. Do an inventory. Walk through your life. Confess your sin to a holy, merciful, good, righteous, faithful God who keeps covenant and seek to follow him, repent from sin, and commit to following Christ anew, afresh, or reaffirm that he is your Lord, your Savior, for not only today, but for forevermore. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for the book of Nehemiah. We thank you for the candor.
of their conviction. We thank you that you've shown us in this text how to confess our sin before you and that you are a covenant-keeping God, that you love us and care for us and you preserve us because we know that there's nothing good in us. It's all to you. And so, God, we come before you and we ask, firstly, we thank you for keeping your covenant through your son, Jesus Christ, to us and for us. And secondly, we ask that you would help us to keep the covenant on, on our behalf, that you would help us to remain faithful to you, Lord, for we know that you are worthy. And I believe, just like the people here in Nehemiah, that those of us who are truly yours, as we think of this, our heart's cry is that we would keep that. Thank you that you have told us in your word that you will never leave us nor forsake us, and that all that the Father has given to you will never leave the hollow of your hand, and that you are the vine and we are the branches, and we can do these things only through you. So preserve us, protect us, breathe your new life into us, restore us, Lord. It's in your name we pray, amen.